Welcome. This is Legal Wise with Ted Eccles, a show dedicated to helping you find peace of mind through being well-informed and up-to-date. We want to help you defeat procrastination and provide information on legal matters that matter to you. I'm Ted Eccles, attorney, and you can reach us at LegalWiseGA.com. If you have a legal question, or particularly an estate planning question, go to our website and write to us. We try to address questions that you, our listeners, will find interesting and helpful. You can also join us as part of our free virtual estate planning workshops. To register, give us a call, 770-506-9092, or visit our website at LegalWiseGA.com. We have a great lineup of questions from listeners today on Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. We'll talk about repossession, will contracts, homeowner negligence, guardianship of adults, breach of contracts, a better way to resolve disputes, and an interview with a special guest. So let's get started. Victor has a question. He says, recently, my job has cut back my hours. Hoping to make up the shortfall by selling a few things, I sold my ATV to a guy I met at the feed store. He didn't have all the money, so he said he would pay me half at the time he bought it and then pay me half in two weeks. I let him go ahead and take the ATV when he paid me the first payment. But it's been a month, and he hasn't paid the other half and he's now avoiding me. Can I go and get my ATV back? Well, Victor, I'm sorry you're experiencing this budgetary shortfall. And now on top of that, this ATV collection issue is compounding your problem. But more information is needed to determine the best course of action for your situation. Your question is whether you have the right to conduct what's called a self-help repossession. In Georgia, creditors are permitted to take back property without first going to court when the debtor fails to comply with the terms of their agreement. Typically, the creditor and the debtor would have entered into a written agreement. That contract provides that, in exchange for allowing the debtor to go ahead and take the property without fully paying for it, the creditor retains a security interest in the property. This security interest allows the creditor to take possession of the property if the debtor fails to pay. These agreements are typically drawn up by lawyers so that it complies with the details of the law regarding repossession. It sounds like your deal was essentially made on a handshake. With most exchanges like the one you've described, it's likely you probably did not have a detailed contract with a security agreement with the right of repossession spelled out in the contract. So, Victor, you may run afoul of the law if you attempt to take the property back against the will of the purchaser without a written agreement allowing you to do so. In addition, even if you have a written security agreement, self-help repossession is not allowed unless it can be achieved without breaching the peace. The law in this area is very technical and may have serious consequences if not followed carefully. Therefore, you will likely want to consult with an attorney before you take any action that could result in your violation of the law. 
Without a security agreement, court action may be necessary to obtain the relief you're seeking. Victor, I'm sorry you're experiencing these problems. I hope you can collect the rest of your money without further delay. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. Jackson has a question. He says, I live in a well-established neighborhood. When I first moved in over 20 years ago, the trees in everyone's yards were relatively young and not too tall. Now, my neighbor's trees tower into the air, especially the ones close to my property line. He has one tree near my barn in the back that has died. I'm afraid it will start dropping limbs or even worse, completely fall onto my barn. What can I do? Well, Jackson, now is a great time to approach your neighbor about this issue before any damage has been done. In Georgia, a property owner is responsible for the damage done by a dead or diseased tree that falls or otherwise injures another person or his property. But that hasn't happened yet in your case, and that's good. Consider approaching your neighbor and making him aware of the dead tree. While he's taking steps to get the tree removed, make sure you don't have anything that can be damaged underneath that tree. If your neighbor doesn't take steps to remove the tree, take some pictures of that tree and send your neighbor a certified letter concerning the dead tree so that you can prove he's aware just in case something happens. Another proactive approach may be available. Your HOA may provide that dead or damaged trees have to be removed. If all else fails, you may want to contact your HOA and see if they can provide some encouragement to your neighbor to have that tree removed. Thanks for the question, Jackson. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. We have a question from Lucy. She says, My mom and my stepfather drafted their wills a few years ago. Each of their wills says that upon the death of the first of them, everything will go to the survivor, and then upon the death of the second of them, everything would be split among both of their children. Well, my mom passed away last year, and now I have learned that my stepfather has made a new will. I suspect that his new will leaves all of his property, including everything he received from my mom's estate, only to his children when he dies. Can he do that? Well, Lucy, I'm sorry for the loss of your mom. I know that suffering the loss of a parent can take an emotional toll on you. The situation you are presenting is occurring more and more frequently. In Georgia, a person generally has the authority to revoke their existing will and make a new will as often as they like, so long as the person has the mental capacity to make a new will. This would extend to cases where a person's spouse has died and they want to make a new will. There are very limited exceptions to this general rule. A person is authorized by law to enter into a contract to restrict his or her ability to make a new will or revoke an existing will, but this agreement is only enforceable if that restriction is expressly stated in a written contract and signed by the person entering into that contract. As with all contracts, consideration must be given. 
Lucy, the simple fact that your mother and stepfather made wills at the same time, which were reciprocal, may not be enough to satisfy the requirements for a will contract. The court may want to see a written document expressly limiting the surviving spouse's ability to draft a new will, with that document containing his signature. These contracts are pretty rare, so I would be surprised to learn that your mother and stepfather had such an agreement. There is a better planning tool for couples, especially couples with blended families. At Eccles Law Group, we frequently help families who desire to build protections for the property they want to eventually go to all of their children. By using a living trust, a married couple can move their property into a trust without giving up control of it and then provide protections for the property after the death of the first spouse, so that upon their death, the instructions for how the property will ultimately be distributed cannot change. With this plan, the married couple can maintain control of the property without the risk associated with having it passed through a will to the surviving spouse outright. Lucy, it sounds like Family was important to your mom and your stepfather. I would encourage you to talk with him about his possible changes to his will and see if something can be worked out. Thanks for the question. If you have a question for LegalWise with Ted Eccles, visit LegalWiseGA.com. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. We have a special guest today. Ted Phillips with T.L. Phillips Financial Group. They're a financial advising agency. Welcome, Ted. Thanks, Ted, for having me. Well, Ted, how long have you been in the financial services industry? Uh, 36 years now. Okay, well, how did, where did you begin your work? Well, I started with a subsidiary of Citigroup and uh, started through that process, became a senior vice president with them and stepped out on faith and uh, with an independent broker in 97 and then uh, diversified in opening a cap realty, a real estate company we own and I co-owned a, a mortgage company. And then in 2013, we decided to go all of our efforts into a fee-based financial advisors. And so we're now serving people in the Atlanta area with from our office in Stockbridge. And we also have an office in uh, Clarksville in North Georgia mountains that our son Zach runs. Okay. Well, you've been in the financial industry for a number of years, but that wasn't your first career, was it? No, I started out, uh, grew up a great family. And, uh, you know, after college decided was working in my dad's business and I decided to, uh, to become a firefighter. And, uh, so I went through the firefighting school and became a, uh, a paramedic and, uh, spent, uh, 10 years as a paramedic and five of those working part-time in one of the local emergency rooms. And, uh, just decided that, uh, Emergency medicine was probably not what I wanted to finish out my career with. Okay. Well, I think that working in a number of industries really probably helps you relate to um, the various clients that you serve, doesn't it? I think so. I think that if, if anything, it just uh, is, I, I care about people. So, uh, um, you know, I enjoy working with healthy people versus versus injured people, but uh, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a caring industry. 
Yeah, well, service is sounds like that's part of your your life as a, as well as mine. Hey, a lot of the questions that I receive center around uh, working towards retirement. How much does a person need to retire? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, and we we all get that question. Um, and we have to answer, we have to get the answer of some questions before we can come up with that. I mean, I think everybody's situation is different. Uh, so we would ask things like, okay, do you have a pension? Do you have uh, social security benefits? What are they? Um, how much debt do you have? Um, I think that the strategy that we take is, is that most people should really plan on trying to receive 100% of what they're earning now on a monthly basis based on uh, what, when they retire. Now that's gonna be adjusted for inflation because just because you're making a certain amount today, if you add two to 3% to that over a number of years, then you're gonna need a substantial amount more. So not to waffle on your question, but it varies in every case. You know, I often meet with folks as, as we're talking about an estate plan and State planning attorneys do a great job of drafting documents that that are legally necessary to have a good estate plan. But in addition to that, how important how important is it for people to have a financial plan? Well, uh, you know, suddenly you're not working anymore, and uh, you know, first thing I would think about how. How does the how does the spouse think about that? Suddenly you show up, you're leaving at six every morning and getting home at whatever in the afternoons, and then suddenly you're there every day. Many times that could be a little bit stressful for uh, for a marriage. Um, so retirement planning is not just just money, and they, of course we do that part. And that's our part of the role is money, as yours is to make sure appropriate documents are taken care of as far as their uh, legal side. But what we, what we try to do is to segment and uh, each dollar have a purpose. So in other words, if you have a your one to five year segment of money, uh, now during that first one to five years, are we gonna be buying a new bass boat, a new motor home, a new uh, lake house? What, what are we gonna be doing with that money? Or are we gonna be just pulling income off of it? Let's say, let's say all the toys have been purchased so we just pull an income off for the first five years. That money needs to be pretty liquid, pretty, uh, pretty, uh, very, very conservative. But then you do your five to 10 year segment. It can be a little bit more aggressive, but still needs to be very conservative. And then you've got your money that's uh, 10 to 15 and 15 to 20. Then that money can be a little more aggressive and, and at least make up for what your inflation cost is, uh, is chopping away at your lower rate of return money, if that makes sense. It does. Well, it sounds like that it definitely needs to be part of a plan and and not just something that um, that you you do off the hip. You know, a, a common question that we receive is what part of your estate planning or financial planning does Social Security play? And how should we start thinking about Social Security is part of our retirement planning. Great question. Yeah, Social Security. Um, and uh, the bigger question is, when do I start it? Do I start it at 62? Do I start it at 60? 
five or six or do I start it? Wait till 70 to even start it. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know that if you wait from 66 to 70, if longevity is in your family, then you get a guaranteed 8% increase per year from 66 or it depends on what year you were born, uh, either from 65 or 66 all the way up to 70. But uh, if you think about if you if you're in retirement for 30 years and your average uh, Social Security, let's say, is two thousand dollars a month, that's twenty four thousand dollars a year over 30 years. That means you're going to draw seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars from that Social Security check. So critical, important part of your retirement plan to plan with on when to when to start withdrawing it uh, and when when to wait. Uh, and then you got, of course, then you got your tax situation because Social Security is 85% taxable. All right. We've been visiting with Ted Phillips of TL Phillips Financial Group. Well, Ted, if somebody would have um, an interest in learning a little bit more about retirement planning or have a question about financial planning, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, they could reach us at our office at 770-389-9963. Or they could uh, send us an email to info uh, at tlpfg.com. And what's that website address if they want to just check out the website? They could go to uh, the tlpfg.com and uh, go directly to the website. And it's got all the information, phone numbers, not only for our office here in Stockbridge, but also our office in Clarksville. Okay, well, Ted, thanks for visiting with us on Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. You've provided some great information. Thanks for having me, Ted. Appreciate it. Are you aware of the threats and predators that are relentlessly pursuing your assets? Join me, Ted Eccles, in a free virtual workshop where we'll discuss estate planning essentials and protecting your estate. To learn more, visit EcclesLawGroup.com and submit your request to take part in one of our weekly workshops. Eccles Law Group is committed to helping you find peace of mind. Mindy has a question. She says, I am the mother of a special needs child. He has recently turned 18 and I have been told that I am no longer able to sign for him or make choices for him. Is that true? Well, Mindy, you have written in a great question. In Georgia, the legal parents of minor children are the natural guardians of the children and are legally responsible for making decisions for any child less than 18 years of age. The law recognizes that children are not competent to make choices for things like contracts and medical decisions and their parents are required to act in order to manage their property and health care choices. For most children, when they turn 18, the law recognizes them as having the authority to make their own choices and removes the parent's authority and, to a certain extent, responsibility for the child, who is now an adult. When special needs children are involved, the law continues to recognize that parents lose their status as the natural guardian of that child since the child is now 18 years old and is considered an adult. 
Under some circumstances, Social Security may still allow you, as the caregiver, to receive their monthly payment and manage it for them, even if you are not recognized as their legal guardian. However, this recognition is not sufficient for most other circumstances. Georgia has a procedure called guardianship of an incapacitated adult, where a person, including a parent of an incapacitated adult, can petition the probate court and be appointed as that adult's guardian. The law even allows this process to begin before the child's 18th birthday so that a guardian can be appointed soon after they turn 18 and minimize the time the child is without a guardian. During this process, which requires a hearing, the court will determine whether a person is in need of a guardian and the court will determine who should serve as that guardian. Many people find this legal process very stressful and complicated and seek out the assistance of an attorney to help them navigate the court proceeding. Mindy, the guardianship process can take two or three months at a minimum so keep in mind as you plan how to proceed. Thanks for the question. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. We have a question from Jean for Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. She says, I recently made the decision to move out of my apartment. My house wasn't quite ready, so I decided to put my belongings in a storage facility until my house was ready for move-in. After a few months of paying the monthly storage bill, I went back to the storage facility to begin moving my stuff, and it was all gone. The facility said they had made a mistake and had it cleaned out by their cleaning crew. They offered to pay me $500 for damages, stating that that was the limit of their liability under the contract. Am I stuck getting only $500? It seems unfair because my stuff was worth way more. What can I do? Well, Gene, this is a tough situation. I have heard of contracts similar to the one you describe. Sometimes they will say that you're agreeing that the items in the storage facility have a value of no more than $500 unless you notify the facility that the property value is more. Sometimes the contract may even require that you state with some detail the type of property and the value of the specific items. If the value is increased, sometimes the contract price will be increased. While the contract language may generally apply if it was simply an act of negligence, if you're able to prove in court that the items were intentionally taken or destroyed as a result of gross negligence, you may be able to have that limitation thrown out because it's unreasonable or against public policy. Another possible remedy is to pursue renter's insurance or other insurance that covers the lost property. Because of the complexity of these facts, you may benefit from consulting with an experienced attorney in your area. Thanks for the question, Gene. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. I graduated from law school in 1994. Almost immediately, I began litigating cases in the various courts in our state. As an attorney, it's my job to zealously represent my client, and I enjoyed winning cases. 
However, I quickly realized that just because I won the case, it did not necessarily translate into my client being happy with the outcome. The reason? With many litigants, the money involved or the property in dispute was just part of the conflict being experienced by the parties. With every case, the dispute represented a damaged relationship. I began to see that litigation is our society's way of providing an effective avenue for the dispute to be resolved in a civil, nonviolent way, but it does a lousy job of helping the parties reconcile their relationship. As a result, I sought out some training to help people who find themselves in conflict seek a solution that helps bring healing to their relationship rather than drive them further apart. A group called Peacemaker Ministries provided such a training, and I became certified as a Christian conciliator. Over the years, I've been privileged to help families, business partners, and neighbors approach their conflict in a way that seeks to honor God and find a solution that is complete, even while working to reconcile the relationship that's been damaged by the dispute. I am aware of one circumstance where family members were fighting over the ownership of some real property. Had the dispute continued in court, I'm confident that the relationship between the family members may have deteriorated to the point of not speaking with one another. By working together through mediation, the family was able to resolve the dispute and move past the conflict. Currently, I'm part of a group called Bridge Conciliation. If you find yourself in a dispute, you're invited to visit the website bridgeconciliation.com to learn more about this alternative dispute process. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. You've been listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or want more information, contact us at LegalWiseGA.com or give us a call, 770-506-9092. While legal advice can help, we know that true peace is found through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us next week as we answer more interesting questions from listeners just like you. The information, comments, and opinions expressed in Legal Wise with Ted Eccles do not constitute legal advice. The topics discussed and opinions given are general in nature and not intended to create any legal relationship or opinion about specific circumstances. No attorney-client relationship has been or will be formed by any communication or legal discussion, and no representation is made regarding your particular legal rights. For legal advice, contact an attorney actively practicing in your jurisdiction. Mm-hmm.